I'm at Fisher's Junior High School right off Cumberland Road, uh, not far from the School Administration Building, and I'm speaking uh, with Dr. Crystal Thorpe. Crystal Thorpe is the principal at Fisher's Junior High School, and it should be noted she has recently been named the Indiana Middle School Principal of the Year for the entire state of Indiana. So congratulations, uh, Crystal Thorpe. Thank you. I, I presume... Uh, just presume here that there is a process you have to go through to receive a title like that. Talk about what that was like for you. So initially, I was contacted by the Indiana Association of School Principals, and they shared that I had been nominated by um, my peers for the award. And what happens is that uh, you get nominated, and it goes through the various districts. So in the state of Indiana, there are five districts for um I, IASP. And you go before the district and then the people that are part of that group, they vote. So to, who to send on to the to the um, ISP. So once they vote, it goes to ISP and their executive group. They then vote on all 12 um, principals uh, that have been nominated from the district. And then they pick one middle school principal of the year. So is it like a, a process of going through interviews? How does that work? There there were no interviews per se, but I had to put together a lot of information about what makes Fisher's Junior High School great. And so um, that resulted in just sharing a lot of the good news and good stories that happened in our school. Um, there were, I think, three or four letters of recommendation. Um, they wanted to know more about me and what I do, what my resume looks like, um, any awards and accolades that I've received outside of um, of the school. So it was it was intensive. It probably took a couple of months to get it done. I had to have um, letters from teachers, um, parents, oh, goodness, my superintendent, of mm-hmm. course. And um, yeah, just a lot of paperwork, a lot of um, pictures of me with kids, of just my kids. It was a lot. So how did you find out you'd won this award? So I'm trying to think, how did I find out that I (laughs) I won this award? I don't know. I'm surprised you had to think about that. I know, right? So I think I I was just contacted by IASP. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think they contacted me and said, hey, you, you won for your district. And so it was like, wow, okay, this is great. And I had to submit additional information to move on to um, compete against my colleagues across the state. And so it wasn't until I think a couple of weeks ago we had the actual um, ISP conference that I found out that I won for the entire state of Indiana. Excellent. Well, I'm sure that was a big thrill. Now, you do have the, the term doctor before your name. Now, to receive that title, and I know people who've gone through this process, you have to write something called a dissertation, which is like writing a book, essentially. Uh, I find that I found the title of your dissertation interesting. Talk about the title and and tell me about your dissertation. Wow. Um, So I started my journey with Indiana State University for my Ph.D. in education administration. And for me, I like to write about things that I know about. And so my topic was, um, or my, my title is, Glass Ceiling Breakthrough, a, phenomenolo- a Phenomenological Study on African-American Women Leading Predominantly White Schools. And that was of interest to me because what some people don't know is that I was the first black principal hired 
um, not only for the district of HSC, but for the entire district that I represent for IASP. And so for me to go from that to this um, is historic. Never, ever, ever would I have imagined in a million years that this would be um, an award that I would have received. And so with my dissertation, I was able to identify other women of color in positions such as myself. Um, And it just, it was awesome because there are things that I felt along my journey that were, they were, um, I guess, solidified or um, justified. I I can't think of the, the correct word that kind of speaks to some of the experiences that I've had being a principal here in Fishers. Um, Things like dealing with stereotypes, um, implicit bias, oh, goodness, Um, uh, being um, successful in instruction. So there were some things that released a lot of, um, I think, just thoughts that I've had along my journey that I had suppressed. Um, But it was cathartic. It was great. I love it. I was going to say that in, until you talk to other people that have been through something like what you've been through, you feel like at the beginning, I'm the only one that's ever been through this. And now once you went through that dissertation process, did that just open your eyes and say, wow, I'm not the only one going through this? Absolutely. One of the other themes that um, bubbled up in my dissertation was that of tokenism. So exactly what you said, being um, the the only black person in the room, the only um, black leader, and, and yeah, just going through a wide range of emotions where I learned that I'm not alone, that other people have experienced a lot of the same things that I've experienced as well. I had a professor of mine in college who spent a lot of time in what was originally called Rhodesia, and he was there during the time it became Zimbabwe, the yeah. African nation. And he described what it was like to be the only white person anywhere in sight when you're in downtown Harare, which is the capital of Zimbabwe. And I think that must be something quite like what you experienced early on. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's interesting because, I honestly, I was not looking to come to Hamilton Southeastern because I felt like my calling was to help students in inner city Indianapolis. Um, Those kids that look like me, those kids that grew up like myself, um, I was part of desegregation. And so when I talk about writing about things that I know, my master's thesis was on the impact of desegregation in, um, in Indianapolis. So one of my friends had moved out here and she contacted me and said, hey, there's a position you should consider coming out. And I'm like, no, they don't need me. They probably don't want me. I don't think that that's some place that, you know, would even give me an interview. And um, she said, no, you should try it. So the first time I tried, I got a thanks but no thanks letter. Um, that was for, I think, the principal of Sand Creek Intermediate School. The second time I submitted, I actually got an interview. And little did I know that one of the assistant superintendents actually worked in Wayne Township. When I was there as a, as a teacher and her husband and I worked together as um, administrators. And so later I would find out that he really um, spoke a lot about me on my behalf um, without me knowing, without me talking to him, just about him observing the work that I did as an assistant principal in Wayne Township. And so I tell people a lot of times it's not always about what you know, it's about who you know. And just always um, do your best and treat people with respect because you never know, you know, what those people are saying or when you'll need them sometime. That has happened in so many instances in my own career where I've, uh, you know, somebody has stood up for me when I, who I'd worked with before, knew me from some other way. It's interesting you mention uh, the desegregation in the Indianapolis-Marion County area. 
because uh, when I was a political science student, I wrote a paper on that because my school had been through a, an awful situation with that. I'm not going to get into that now, but uh, I was a news reporter or a media person during a lot of that uh, desegregation situation. That was that was a difficult time for Indianapolis, uh, and I'm, I don't want to get into that in, in detail, but. I guess what I would ask you is, since you mentioned that was part of, of, of what you had dealt with, what did you learn from just observing what happened in Indianapolis with, with the desegregation, which a lot of people today probably don't even remember. I'm old enough to remember it well, so please talk about that. You know, I'm not, I don't even know where to start. My, my life story is, is um, a little complicated maybe a little bit interesting, but I lived on the west side of Indianapolis. And so growing up, I would have to ride um, the bus out to Wayne Township Schools for um, 20, 25 minutes or so. And I remember feeling um, some type of way when I would see some of the houses that were bigger than the the houses in my neighborhood that were prettier um, than the houses in my neighborhood. And just not quite understanding what I was feeling at the time. So at some point in my life, I actually moved out of Indianapolis. I lived three years in Ansbach, West Germany. My mom was married. Um, We were in the military. And so I moved away from the eighth grade till about the 10th grade. And then I came back. And I came back and I moved with my father into the desegregated neighborhood that I had lived before. And so I just remember as a teenager feeling some of those same things, like, well, wait a minute, this is, this something's wrong here. The other thing that I think that compelled me to write about desegregation was that um, I remember going back and, and enrolling in Ben Davis High School and having counselors kind of challenge me about whether or not I should be allowed to participate in um, advanced level classes. Um, they were being the gatekeepers. Now I'm thinking, coming from um, a Department of Defense school, like I'm pretty intelligent, like I know this stuff. And so that also got me to thinking about just how sometimes where we live, it definitely shapes people's opinions of us. And so um, when I worked on my master's degree, that was something that I focused on. And what I learned from my dis- from my thesis was that um, de- desegregation did not have a very positive impact on the African-American community, primarily because when it was done in Indianapolis, it didn't go both ways. Mm-hmm. So they only bust mm-hmm. from the inner city out and not the the outer part of the city in. And so what you'll find is that the neighborhoods in the inner city that were um, bused to the suburbs became blighted. Um, Schools were pretty much condemned. Um, It it just became a hard place to live. And so uh, even I was hoping that I would find academically in terms of achievement, it didn't impact achievement necessarily in a positive way either. Well, a lot of what you're saying brings back memories for me in, turn, in studying that whole period of time. But I want to get back to this because uh, I'm sure in all of your postgraduate curriculum you've been through, uh, about being there was nothing there about being a principal in a pandemic. Right. And there's, so the, there's nothing to fall back on. Everybody is learning as as you go along, from a superintendent all the way down to a teacher in the classroom and everybody in between, and you would be there. So describe for me as best you can how you and your colleagues here at Fisher's Junior High are handling the challenges of, of COVID-19. 
It has been a huge challenge. Um, honestly, being a principal is hard enough, but being a principal through a pandemic is even harder. Um, just trying to be responsible for so many people, you know, understanding the fact that we want our kids in school, we want 100%, but that we can't make that happen. Um, working with parents who are struggling with their students at home, um, students that are struggling as learners, teachers who are struggling. One of the things that I have emphasized to my staff over and over again is that we have to show grace to to each other and to the students and just do the best we can. Um, my teachers are they're, they're great teachers and they don't understand how to um, not do a good job. And so just giving them permission to say, you know what, we're not where we were last year at this time curricular wise, but how are our kids feeling? How are they doing? Um, just making sure that we are providing equity in the instruction and, and in, the, in the things that we do. Um, during this time, it's been tough because I've had to tell parents no. I've had parents request their kids to come full time. But the other part for me is that I have to make sure that the kids that are in the building are safe and, and just dealing with the fact that during a pandemic, close proximity, you know, it, it's problematic for all of us. And so I think the biggest takeaway for us here at this particular school is that we've talked a lot about just showing grace and having empathy, you know, understanding that our kids are struggling right now, our parents are struggling right now, and that kids are not necessarily doing all the things that, that we want them to do, that we expect them to do, but that's okay because we're all in, in, in a tough situation right now. Here's a question I, I, I ask a lot, and I, I'm really curious about your perspective on this. Who's handling this better, the students or the adults in general? Because my answer that I'm receiving is the, the students are finding ways to it. I mean, it's not easy for them. Don't get me wrong. But they're adjusting because those of us who are adults are having a tougher time. What's, what's been your observation? I think our students are struggling, but they are definitely more resilient. And I think we don't give them enough credit um, for what they're doing as well. Uh, parents and adults, yeah, the parents are struggling as well, because if you think about it, we're not used to having our children home um, during the school day. And I have an eighth grade daughter that is home right now and trying to help her stay on task and stay um, on top of her work has been a challenge. And we, we go back and forth and, and go through it every day. So I understand. I think students, though, my concern for them is that just missing the whole social aspect of it all. And I think one of the biggest things that I learned is that we have to have human connection. We think that the the cell phones and the iPads suffice and that kids can just um, Snapchat somebody or text somebody and it's all good. What I'm learning, though, is that we need that human connection, that we need to be able to talk to each other face to face and, and be around our friends to really, I think, grow and develop because, yeah, technology is not all that it's cracked up to be. And I hear a lot about that in terms of the students. Uh, they're resilient, as you say. But on the other hand, if you ask them and really get into a conversation with them, and I've heard a lot of podcasts that have talked to these students around the country, and the response they get is, yeah, I'm dealing with this, and we're going to do okay here, but, you know, I really miss my friends. I miss seeing my friends at school. Is that a big challenge, that person-to-person, face-to-face interaction that you take for granted that you have every day and all of a sudden it's gone that that's an ingredient of school that is very important 
Absolutely, especially at the middle level. Our kids are at this age level so social. You know, we even laugh sometimes about kids who really come to junior high just or, or come to school just for the social aspect, not necessarily for the academic aspect. And and that's okay. Um, but this is where their peer, peer group is. This is also where they have, I think, good positive um, interactions with adults. And so, yes, we definitely need to have that face-to-face time. I'm curious, as a uh, principal, part of what you do in a normal situation is you visit classrooms, you observe teachers. Um, How have you adapted this virtual learning? I mean, you were in hybrid 50% each for a while. Now you're back to virtual learning until at least January 15th, based on what the school board's just decided. But tell me how you as a principal adapt to understanding what's happening in the classrooms and your building or outside your building now um, as uh, dealing with this virtual learning model? So a lot of what I do is right now I rely heavily on my department chairs. Um, We have conversations about what's happening and not happening in the classroom. Um, It's been a struggle because, like I said before, some of my teachers feel like they have to give an assignment every day, and it's really causing some some issues for some of our kids. So we're trying to figure out other ways that we can help our students, how we can pull back from the curriculum, how we can um, assess learning without having um, final exams and end-of-course assessments, how do we allow kids to make up work where they were struggling at the beginning of the year and trying to figure things out at at the end of the year. And so... What I've done is I've worked with my teachers in terms of giving them permission to make some of the tough decisions. I had a conversation the other day with one of my ENL te- with my ENL teacher, and he had a student that was um, disengaged at the beginning of the year and was struggling at maybe um, 54% and wanted to know what to do. And I told him, I said, you know, consider what this student has done here at the end of the semester. How can we assess that learning without being punitive? for work that they didn't do beforehand. Because again, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we don't know what's happening at home with some of our children. You know, some of them are home alone. Some are home with um, a lot of families or a lot of family members. Some aren't eating, you know, some are stressed out. It's it's a lot. I'm curious about this. Uh, And it's really not tied to the pandemic itself, but uh, in your position, you've been observing these students in the age range of seventh and eighth grade for a while. it's 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 a it's a tough age as far as growing up. I mean, I remember what it was like you know when I was that age, and that was a long time ago. And I think it's tougher today. And the reason I I bring that up is I'm curious what your observations are, what you've learned about the youngsters in this age range, uh, just as principal of this junior high. I tell you what, it's so funny because I tell people all the time that I would never ever 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 want to be a middle school teacher. And, and they ask me why, and I tell them because middle school teachers are special, and I'm just not that special. So when I student taught, I student taught at a, at a junior high school, middle school down in Bloomington, and it was really, really tough for me. And um, I taught high school at Ben Davis, and I loved it. But I absolutely love being a, a junior high school principal. And I think what, what what I've learned is that you have to have a middle school mindset. You have to have people in your building who um, are sometimes a little bit quirky. Um, teachers that are willing to go the extra mile to make middle school fun. Teachers that want to make connections. Teachers who want to get up and, and come to school every day and make a difference in the life of the child. And that's what I found in Fisher's Junior High School, that our goal has been to try to make all of our kids feel like they have a sense of belonging 
And I've challenged my staff to create various activities and programs to make sure that we have something in place for all of our for all of our kids to feel like they can connect with. Sometimes kids will come and ask me, they'll bring a proposal and they'll ask me, can we do this because we feel like that's a need in our building. So I think, you know, we focus on academics, but we also have to focus on the socialization of our kids because this is where they are starting to form their identities and how can we help them be the best that they can be at this age level. Yeah, I think it is a very special age. And uh, yeah, I can understand what you say. <laughs> I'm not sure if I could be a middle school or junior high teacher. You have a We the People team here at Fisher's Junior High School. I have uh, every now and then been asked to help Mike Fossil, the, the, uh, who sponsors that team, help out with their preparation. They've won several national championships, including 2020. And I think Mike Fossil, if you ask him, he would always say that one reason that that program has been successful here is because it's had your full support. And I'm just curious, uh, not every principal might have a priority to, to do that. You got behind this program. Talk about why. So years ago, we had um, HSE schools had a study completed by Ball State University. And what they found was that there was um, a chasm at the junior high school level for uh, high ability um, social studies So what happened was that at the sixth grade level, there was a humanities class that combined um, language arts and social studies. We had nothing at the junior high school level. And so when that report came out, Mike approached me and said, hey, I have an idea of how we can can fix that. And so he talked about the We the People program. Um, None of my sister schools were really interested in in it at the time. I wasn't sure if I would be able to do it at the time because sometimes as a junior high, we have to do um, everything alike. But I told him that I was going to take a chance because after he presented to me, it was, um, I felt great for kids. We didn't start it to win championships. That wasn't the focus of it. The focus was to really help our kids understand civics and what that meant. And so I told him that we would do this program only if, uh, one, he had to make sure that he was able to to, to include the eighth grade um, social studies standards, and two, that we would not charge uh, any additional money for any any anything that we needed. I told him I would cover that from a separate fund, and then um, that our team had to be reflective of our school community, that I wanted diverse students to represent Fisher Junior High School because that's who we are. And so um, as a result, he took it and ran with it. And so... Yeah, it's it's been amazing. We when we started this, it wasn't about the championships. It wasn't about. It really wasn't even about high ability students. We we looked for students that had um, kind of that that hunger to learn more. Um, kids that were um, into really reading a lot. So it's kind of evolved over the last couple of years. But yeah, so I told Mike that. Um, for that particular program, I'd rather ask for um, forgiveness than permission. <laughs> and it's come back to bite me, <laughs> but it's worth it because yeah. our kids that have gone through that program, the confidence that it builds, oh my gosh, I just, I love watching them um, in action. They are amazing and have been amazing since we started. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to see seventh and eighth graders quoting the Federalist Papers, <laughs> but they, this is what they do. I've seen it at the high school level. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, Mike asked me to help out, I think it was the first year they went to national competition and did some practice judging for them, uh, I could see that that was a special group, and he's had that really every year. And again, I think your support had a lot to do with the fact that it's been successful. And you're right, you don't necessarily measure it by 
national championships, but it shows the amount of work that that is put in and 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 how seriously the students take it as well as as Mike Fossil. They definitely make me proud, and they know I like trophies, and they take pictures in my office every chance they get. So it's a lot of fun. You have you have plenty at the moment. (laughs) Yes, that's that's good to know. Um, You're not just a junior high principal; you are also an adjunct professor. Uh, Talk about uh, where you teach and what you're teaching there. Larry, I wear so many hats, um, it wears me out. So currently speaking, I am the principal in residence at the University of Indianapolis, where I um, present lessons to aspiring principals on just various issues. I've talked about curriculum and instruction. I've talked about principal hot seat issues, um, school law, uh, termination, you name it, I presented it. And I love, love, love doing that. This year, though, they asked me to teach in a different capacity where I am now teaching um, aspiring teachers uh, the the class called Teaching in a Diverse Society. And so it's been a lot of fun with that because we've talked a lot about um, racism, culture, bias, um, and they've written me letters, which has been just, I love it. And then I'm also teaching at the American College of Education, where I teach research methodology to um, graduate students who are aspiring to be school leaders as well. So, yeah, a lot. I, I have to tell you, you bring this up several times, and it's it's at the heart of why I think I stayed in Fishers. Because uh, when my wife and I were married, she'd already built a house here. And I had a small apartment on the east side of Indianapolis, and I didn't want to move to Fishers. It was a town of, it was a town of about... 10,000 less people in 1991 when I moved here. What has amazed me is is how the community is so much more diverse and became more diverse the longer we lived here. I was so happy to see that when my twin daughters ended up entering HSC schools, where they went for K-12 and went to Fisher's Junior High, by the way, and they're now in their mid-20s and adults. But the reason I mentioned that is I, I was just amazed at the amount of diversity that is here, and it was not always that the case. Um, and I think that their education was a much more rich education because this is what I fear was, you know, living in a community that's kind of isolated. I've lived in places like that and, and you lose a little something in your education here. Uh, my daughters got to meet people of all sorts of backgrounds, made friends with people of all sorts of backgrounds. Um, and I, and I want you to just say a word or two about the fact, I mean, HSC schools takes it even more than the city of Fishers. It takes in three full townships, including Wayne Township, which is just now beginning to, to grow. But it's it, it has a variety of people with a variety of backgrounds. What are the strengths and challenges of that as you see it from your perch? Um, I think at Fisher Junior High School, we truly value diversity. Over the years, we have become more and more diverse. I think as a, as a school, I want to say we might be at 68% um, white with the other um, percent being diverse. One of the things that we did, I had a teacher, a social studies teacher that um, did a, did a um, took a, a, a poll of her students to identify where they're from. And she ended up getting a grant and we put a map outside of our library and we um, put flags out that represented all the schools that were, uh, all, all of the students that were of different nationalities and races in our building. From that, we uh, created the International Fair. And so what that is, is we have a night, I think we moved it to January, and it's part of our social studies curriculum. And all of our students have to present, uh, uh, do a research 
presentation on their culture that that they want to represent. And it is an amazing night. It has grown to where we've invited some community partnerships to come in. We've had um, speakers. We've had dancers. Uh, people bring their food. And I think what makes me feel so proud as a principal is that when I walk around and the parents want to stop and share with us or share with me their um, their experience, their background, their culture, their history, and how thankful they are that we're allowing them to do that in such a public forum. It's amazing. So that's one of the, the, the best things about it is that we embrace our diversity. I think that's what makes us makes us great. Um, and honestly, I don't think there are any challenges with that. We've been very fortunate. Again, I try to make sure that there's a place for all of my students, regardless of nationality. And we've had like K-pop clubs. And what is that? Um, we had kids that wanted to start a Korean pop club. And it's like, okay, let's do it. I've had students ask about starting, um, um, oh, what was it? They wanted to start a sign language club because we have a large sign language community. We tried to get that started, but we couldn't get the parent to help us out because the teacher that was going to sponsor, she didn't know sign language. Oh, so okay. she couldn't do it. But we were always trying to find ways to to make it work and fit. My first year here, we partnered with um, the 100 Black Men of Indianapolis, and we started um, an African-American history, what was it, history competition. We went down to IUPUI, and we won our first oh year out. Yeah. So we've done a lot with um, just culture okay. and embracing it and just making sure that everybody feels a part. That's a great story. I love hearing that. My final question to you is this. I, I've been an education reporter off and on for good part. I mean, I spent 28 years out of journalism, but before I went into another career, I, I covered education pretty extensively. And I remember being through one program where I learned about how the term principal came about. Because the word principal really started out as the term principal teacher, because there were very few administrators. You know, most most schools in Indiana in the early days were run by little township governments. Uh, the Fall Creek Township building that they built onto that that was a little schoolhouse, at, and originally and they've preserved part of that. And I was just happy that the township board and, uh, and the trustee made that decision years ago to to keep that part of the building as part of the history. The reason I mentioned that is, you know, you, there was so little administration, you were called a principal teacher. You talk, Your main job was to teach, and if you had to make a decision or something, fine, but you were still mainly a teacher if you were the principal teacher. Now, things obviously are much more complicated today, but my question to you, and maybe you've already answered it in part, are there times you just wish you could go back in the classroom and teach the students and be the principal teacher? You know, I think I do that already with what I'm doing right now. And I'm constantly learning myself. So it's really fun because I've had to teach um, at UND on Zoom. So I'm struggling the same way that my teachers are struggling in terms of how to um, create engagement through that platform. Um, through my ACE program that I'm teaching, I'm doing that via Canvas, and it's the same management system that my teachers are using. So I think for me, I definitely have a teacher's heart. Um, my teachers would probably tell you that I'm a huge advocate on their, on their behalf because I understand what it means to be a teacher and, and how difficult it can be. And so for me, my principal philosophy has always been to take care of my teachers first so that they can take care of who matter most. And so I think... Um, even with this award, I would not have won this award without my teachers being the people that they are. Um, they are awesome, and I just I view my job as just trying to take a, to, to eliminate any barrier from them being able to be their best selves, giving their best to the students that we serve. 
Well, after spending 30 minutes with you, I think I know why you are the uh, uh, State of Indiana's uh, Middle School Principal of the Year. You're a very impressive Thank lady, you. and this discussion has been great. Before I before we go, is there anything you would like to add? I had several questions. Anything you'd like to say before we go? You know, I just I, I'm I'm just I'm blessed. Um, I was very honored by this award. I wasn't expecting it. Um, and I just want to thank the community for the support that I've received, I think, along the way. I have served some amazing families that will sometimes send me notes of encouragement, um, send me messages via LinkedIn. And um, it just really makes me know that what I'm doing is, is, is good work. So, Dr. Crystal Thorpe is the principal here at Fisher's Junior High School. We are where we are recording this this podcast. And she was recently named Middle School Principal of the Year for the state of Indiana. So again, congratulations thank on you. that. And thank you so much for sharing some time with me. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.